0: Parents, um, question for you. Have you noticed any of your kiddos picking up any of your bad habits? Like, ooh, is that, is that a, little too, a little too much? Okay, one of my worst habits up to this point in my life, there's probably more coming, but who knows, um, I spit. It's just something that I've done for a long time. The worst has been in COVID when I forgot I was wearing a mask. <laughs> And, I just, and Darian's laughing because she tells me not to spit all the time. It's gross. Why do you do that? And then I forget I'm wearing a mask, and all of a sudden I spit, and I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta sit with my own decisions for now. <laughs> like, you're just going to have to be in that for a little bit. Well, I can say I like to spit because, well, in this passage, Jesus spits, So we're like, I can say it's not that bad a habit if Jesus does it. Well, we are continuing our series on uh, postcards from Jesus. This is a time where we're looking at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation and asking questions. What does this say about, um, what is God saying to us? And what is God um, saying to me individually? Because he's talking to churches here. And we get to what is likely the most um, well known of all the seven churches. Now, you probably don't remember, and it's not on the screen. So, does anybody remember the name of the city in which this church was found? Let me help you remember that. So, uh, there, I saw this. This was, Molly actually sent this to me after I saw it recently. If you ever question, where is the lukewarm city? Steve, go ahead and show this image for me, if you would. Oh, that's not it. It's Windows. It's okay. Um, The image, I'll just go ahead and say this. It was a guy named Ed Wiley. He wrote this tweet, and it says this. He says, I just ate a lukewarm Chick-fil-A sandwich, tasted like Chick-fil-A Laodicea. Okay? So... Lukewarm, not hot nor cold. Chick Fil A, Laodicea, because that just flows out of the mouth all um, so well. And so, um, like Justin just mentioned, we did switch these up um, for the sake. <clears throat> Justin's like got a lot of connections to Philadelphia, and he's speaking next week, so we wanted to let him do that. And I, I really wanted to do this passage because as I was studying, it was one of those weeks that um, really, like, probably. I'm I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to us as a family. But as we looked at um, this whole uh, series, each of these cities and each of these churches that Jesus is addressing, there's something directly connected to the city that they find themselves in. That um, excuse me, that connects to where they are. Hey, Bethany, is my mic working by chance? Is there we can turn that up? Thank you. Um, Laodicea thank you I don't have to speak as loud Um, this was a city that like many others that Jesus uh, addressed it was wealthy and it was important of the eyes of many people their wealth um, came from its location which is right in the middle of three very important trade roads so at the convergence of all three of these roads this city was a very very wealthy city and it was known for two um, things that were exported from it. First of all, it was, there was this beautiful black wool used to make carpets. And there was a thing called phygrin fig, uh, uh, powder, which was this um, renowned eye ointment. So think of your eye sicknesses or anything like that. This was the place in the ancient world that made that and exported it. And they made a ton of money. Jesus talks about ointment, eye ointment in this passage. But also, there's something about the water here. Recent archaeological digs in the city unearthed houses that measured around 3,000 square feet that all had centralized water systems and indoor plumbing. For us, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in the ancient world, this is a ridiculous amount of wealth they would get their water. It was transported nearly six miles from this massive aqueduct. And it started at that spot in the hot spring. And it was at that place, it was up to 95 degrees in temperature. But along the six-mile way, the water that left hot only arrived lukewarm by the time it reached the city. Not only that, as it went along these distances, it collected a lot of calcium deposits which would often induce vomiting if you drank too much of the water. So imagine having this indoor plumbing that was wonderful, that was amazing, and it wasn't like this hot tea that I enjoyed that's soothing, that's healing. I mean, and I'll, a side note, you can pr- be praying for me. I'm starting to experience vocal nodules like Darian did. So if you hear me like lose my voice a little bit, it's because my voice is starting to give out, which is not very good in my profession. So, why I'm drinking hot tea. Now, not super hot because the Keurig system we have, it only does like lukewarm, so it's kind of hot, but it's soothing enough. And the water's not super cold, which is refreshing on those hot days. And what what does Jesus say? They know this lukewarm, they know this is about their city. And he looks at them, and he says, you are like that water. And what do I want to do? It makes me want to spit it out of my mouth. Like, ouch, right? What does it mean to be lukewarm? What is Jesus actually addressing? What is is it that they're saying? They say this in the passage, I'm rich, I have prospered. I need nothing. This is a church that was spiritually self-satisfied, spiritually self-sufficient, and unneedy. That is what Lukewarm, according to this passage, is. Now, when we think of... um, self-sufficient I mean that's kind of a hallmark of our society right we have to get to the point where we're into we're independent we are not in need we've got it all figured out when we talk to people we even have to put on a front how many times when you ask the question to people hey how's it going when people are actually honest with you that you're taken aback by right like hey how's it going oh man I'm having a really really hard day and you're like oh well, okay then. And then they're they awkwardly trying to finish the conversation and move on from there because they don't they don't know what to deal with expressing need, expressing not having it all together, not being self-sufficient, not asking for help. And what Jesus is coming here and saying is, hey, church, you think you've got it all figured out, you're wealthy, you've prospered, you have no need, and actually you're What does he say to them? You're you're pitiable. You're poor. You're blind. In his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan gives a a profile of lukewarm Christian. I'm just going to read a few of these to us. How can you tell, or you and I tell, if we are lukewarm disciples of Jesus? First, According to Francis Chan, lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. They only want to be saved from the penalty of their sin. God is only useful as a fire escape that they employ, not a God that they worship. So when it comes to my own sin, I'm not worried about that. As long as I have my ticket to heaven, I'm good to go. Secondly. Lukewarm Christians are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not do radical things themselves. I love having Greg and Heidi. It's so good to have you guys here. I'm so glad you got to be with Lifeway this week. It's so encouraging to hear those stories. And I love, love, love hearing those stories. And one of the reasons why we want to share stories often is because we believe stories spur us on. It actually encourages us. It gives us courage. That's what encouragement means. So when we hear stories, I, I pray and I hope that you look and hear them and I, and say, man, God, would you do that through me too? Like, what, how can I join God in the work that he's called me to in my neighborhood, in my workplace? But in the, when we're lukewarm, we like when other people are able to be radical, but it doesn't doesn't impinge on me having to be radical. Number three, lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith with their neighbors or co-workers. Like Charles Spurgeon said, you are either a missionary or an imposter. Moving on, lukewarm Christians think about life on earth much more than eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Few more lukewarm Christians love their luxuries and rarely give to the poor in a truly sacrificial way. In a few um, the next in the upcoming weeks, you're going to hear about our um, Advent conspiracy opportunities. We're going to share a little bit um, coming up, sock drive, and helping with um, uh, those that are undeser- um, underserved that have kids on the spectrum. Really excited about the opportunities to do that. But w- when we're lukewarm we do it in a way that's manageable. It's not necessarily sacrificial. Lukewarm Christians um, have their lives structured in their way so they never have to live by faith. This is what David Platt says. He says this, If you're not in a place where you feel desperate for the Spirit of God, then there's no way you are on the front lines of mission. When we are on the front lines, we feel desperately our need For God's help. Our fleshly tendency is to not be in need. Our cultural um, how do I say this? Our cultural ethos is if you express need, you're weak. And the beauty of the gospel is where are we made strong in our weakness, in our dependence? in our need for others, in our need ultimately for God. Our independence and lack of need is what Jesus is talking about here. And I don't know if you're like me, but this one hits a little bit closer to home than others. Recently, Darianne and I were talking about our initial missional desires when we moved here to Federal Way. Um, When we moved here, um, we, part of... uh, we heard about all these uh, events going on in the city, and we we were so engaged with, at them in Tacoma. It was just part of the ethos. It was so fun. It was such a great way to build relationships. And so when we moved up here, we were flabbergasted, like, why don't people, like, why don't we engage in those? Like, we should do that. We should be part of them. We should be, like, engaged in them, right? Like, that's just a great opportunity to build relationships, all that. And then we look seven years later, and how many of them have we actually attended recently? And it stung us a little bit, right? Because you never intend to, be, to get to this place. You're never like, you know, it's like marriage. You never intend for your marriage to not be as like amazing as it was early on. But after years and after lack of attention and act of, not focusing and not doing the very practices that we're leading us to, all of a sudden, after a while, what starts to happen? What once was hot travels a long distance through time, picks up some calcium deposits along the way, and then we find ourselves lukewarm. Not engaged. So this lethargy for them, often came from comfort. They had, in that day, 3,000 square foot houses with internal plumbing, remarkable. And yet, often I tell my kids, I'm like, guys, you eat more luxurious than Caesar ever ate. The amount of food that we have, what we have at our disposal, the fact that I can wait two minutes and have boiling water out of a machine by pressing buttons by going into the grocery store and having aisle after aisle of way too much decisions that's available to us, right? Comfort, comfort after comfort. We like to say, oh, they were they, that was them, the brothers and sisters. Like, this is our day. The, and praise God if you're not here. And this is the temptation that I think our culture leads us to is either lethargy on one hand and especially in this moment, rage on the other. Don't have a a lot of time to go into the rage. We're just going to hang on the lethargy for the moment. You can just be comfortable, satisfied. Like, you know, my missional community is all right. I like the people that I'm sitting around the table with. Why would I want to do anything else besides just this? Why would, why would I want to sacrifice? Why would I want to do something that Jesus is calling me to that I may think is radical, but he says to be generous or whatever it may be. And a lot of times when we think about these passages, we like to internalize it, think about ourselves, right? Which is good. Like, we, we should do that. But remember, Jesus is talking to a church. He's not just talking to a person in the church. In certain cases throughout these seven weeks, we've seen him address a person. We've seen him address this individual. Those people that are are doing like the Nicolaitans, they need to repent. But Jesus doesn't address anybody individually here. He's addressing the body. The whole family of God the specific place where they are. So it's not just, what does he say about me? What what does this say about us? Do we, as a body, experience some of this lethargy? Are we satisfied? Oh, man, I didn't. Are we satisfied with 100,000 people in our city that doesn't know Jesus? Man, you'd think I'd plan to cry at this point, right? (laughs) It's like that's when the pastor's supposed to pray. I mean, supposed to start to cry. Are we okay with that? Praise God there's 30 people in the room. Praise God our kids are satisfied. Praise God we have a comfortable space to meet in. Praise God our MCs are... Going all right, but are we collectively? Do we know our need? Do I know my need? In many ways, I've tried to do so like and this is the irony of a lot of this we can just like the the outcome of this Okay, we just got to try harder right guys like go and do more and that's not the next step. That's, I know that's my tendency to be the next step. So, okay, I'm, I'm inspired. I, I'm, okay, Darian, we're going to, the next two weeks, we're going to have eight people over to our house. And trust me, I've done that before. <laughs> like, that is my next step. Is okay, we, like, who are the people, like, like we're, gonna, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this, we're doing this. Are those bad things? Absolutely not. Like, we should do those things. Those are good things, but in a very subtle way, what that's doing is still putting myself in the driver's seat. It's saying, yeah, there's work to do. I got this. Rather than, and this is the journey of the last few years of becoming coming to the end of myself. It's a, wow, I have no idea how we're gonna do this. Uh, we've tried this, we've tried, you know what I mean? If we, if we look at it from that perspective, we, what, what, and I think a lot of this passage and what is stirring in me is like, God, like, what is there to, like, and why these disciplines and slowing down and being nourished by Jesus is so important Is because we need. We need. While I'd love, man, the temptation to um, put on a show, the temptation to have everything figured out, the temptation to come up here and do everything we can to put on this flashy thing that um, inspires, and people feel good about, and, with, and that's all good and fine and all that. But at the end of the day, do we as a family recognize that we are in need? And how do you feel about that? Because if I'm honest with you, I don't like that at all. I like when I've got everything figured out. I like when I've checked every box that I've had to check for the day, and it goes well, Right? I don't like when I have to express need. But when I don't express need, when I don't realize my dependence, what this passage shows is that we are, what is it? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. But when we recognize our need, when we get to that point where we are beyond ourselves, what does Jesus offer us in this? And we see this in verse 18. Buy from gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. You think you are rich with what you have? Brothers and sisters, what Jesus offers us is that much better. You, you write garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be sin. You think that you've got it all together and you've put on this mask and you put on this show for people around you. You don't have to be vulnerable and honest about where you are in need or broken. Brother, but what, what happens when we are in need and we express those things? Jesus offers us white garments, and our shame is covered and not seen. The, the shame that you and I in, just so readily go to, Jesus offers to take that away when we recognize our neediness. And lastly, the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. When we think that we can see because we've got it all together, Jesus says, no, you who don't think you are in need, you are blind. But... I will give you the anointment. You're, you and Laodicea, you think you have this good anoint, ointment. No, I'll give you an ointment that will let you see. See what's going on around you. See what's going on in your own heart. See the things that you can't see when you think that you and we have it all together. We usually um, take some time to silence Um, do silence and practice earlier on, but instead what we're going to do, we're going to actually take some time right now to do that. For those that are joining us for the uh, first time, we typically have a time to interact and dialogue after the gathering. We believe that's really important because it's one thing to just hear somebody talk, but it's another thing to wrestle with it. It reinforces learning, it personalizes it, we believe that that's really essential. But for this, what I want to do instead is we're going to be silent for a few minutes. I, I love that Blaine Pascal quote in the nurse book today, um, that silence brings us face to face, if I can use my language, with a part of us that's lukewarm. May not be all parts of us, but sometimes we don't want to be silent, don't want to be still, because we don't want to face it. The, the part that's complacent, that's comfortable, that's not experiencing neediness. And the only way to heal and purify that is to experience God's divine and holy love. We'll talk about this more in a minute at communion, but what do we see in this passage Jesus doing? He's knocking. Doing. He's not sitting back. not us, and so in silence, we're asking Jesus, are you knocking in our hearts, where are you seeking to reveal your grace in our hearts, where are we not really realizing our neediness,